Do you love watching sports highlights? Five Star, the world's first sports highlight rating app is here. Athletes and fans can share, view, and rate the best sports highlights between one and five stars. The app is comment-free and has athletes of all skill levels, even pros like Kylie O'Miller, Kyle Harrison, and the 2022 PLL MVP, Trevor Baptiste. Download Five Star Highlights to earn yours. We welcome in Denver head coach Bill Tierney this morning, 39th season, seven-time NCAA champion, and news recently, Coach, that this can be your last year. Uh, caught me off guard because I thought, uh, like the uh, ever-ready uh, bat- battery, you were just going to continue to go forever. <laughs> well, I was, uh, you know, I, I, you know, you know who some of my close friends are, Quint, and uh, you know, one thing I uh, made a promise to myself was that I that I wouldn't wait until that battery died, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I still have uh, health. God, you know, thank God, and. Uh, Family still loves me for some reason, and I wanted to uh, give a little time back to them, although I'm not sure I'll be out of this lacrosse scene, uh, depending on what comes up, but uh, it's time. You know, the, the whole, uh, the whole um, college uh, coaching scene is different. Uh, as you know, back in, the, back in the 80s, you coached, and, and that's what you did. And uh, um, there's so much more to it now. I just feel, feel like it's, uh, it's uh, the way things are going, just built, built for younger people to get involved. I've been so blessed and had such a great run that I, uh, you know, due to the people that I've been around that um, I just didn't want to go that one year too many. You've earned a nap, coach, and you've certainly earned lunch with your wife. Uh, how's everyone in, in your universe doing? Uh, every, everybody's great. You know, uh, you know, as, as I told a bunch of young coaches at the convention this year, you know, with, as far as the wives go, you know, you're, you're married from year, year one through 10, they say, uh, where are you going? After that, they say, when are you going? And so, uh, you know, I, I don't, the Helen's probably going to be good with me not being there for lunch, but, but uh, uh, it, it's, it's been going great. My family is, uh, supportive the people around us are supportive our our team has been really really good our parents our alumni so it's it's just um you know it couldn't be uh well it could be better we could have we could win a national championship but uh to be honest as you look back on this thing i've just been just been so blessed so i'm at peace with it i'm happy with it and i'm looking forward to the next three or four months with our team i want to uh for the first half, I, I do want to look back at some some uh, some of some of your your stories from from uh, whether it's Cortland or RIT, and then the second half, I want to talk about this current team, uh, DU twenty twenty three. When I go back, you know, for me, it's the forks in the road that are interesting uh, choices that you made that turned out a certain way. Uh, I, I find those to be fascinating, in, in, in your in your timeline whether it was, uh, you know, playing for a very good Cortland State team in the early 70s to deciding to get into coaching and deciding to go back to Long Island in particular. What, what were your options uh, when, when you at, at a Cortland in, in 73? Was it, did you have potential jobs in Syracuse or New England or, or Baltimore? Or were you, was your mind set on, on getting back to the island and coaching there? Yeah, I mean, as, uh, my, my goal was to be, the head football coach at Levittown Memorial High School. That was my goal. And uh, when I went to Cortland, but, you know, back then you had freshman teams. So I played freshman football, was supposed to wrestle, but I somehow uh, got out of that and then played freshman lacrosse. And then the sophomore year, um, at the before the first football meeting, uh, football coach put his 
giant hand on my chest and said, uh, you know, at, at a buck 50, you, you ain't playing football anymore. So I, uh, although I did volunteer to coach uh, then, and I did my student teaching at Ithaca High School and coached football then, now lacrosse became my my thing. Uh, when I get out, I, I did coach football and, and lacrosse, you know, uh, North Shore High School, Great Neck South for lacrosse, and then eventually became that head football coach at Levittown Memorial, as well as the head lacrosse coach. So the, the, that first fork in the road, and it's funny you use that term because I, I say that to young coaches all the time, that they don't know who Yogi Berra is, but, but one of his famous sayings is when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, I got through that first season as the head football coach at Levittown, my best friend, at, you know, Ray Rostan, who we went to Cortland together, um, called me. He was leaving RIT and said, uh, would you be interested in this job? And so interviewed and, uh, you know, made that first left-hand turn and went to RIT and kind of January of 1982. And so, no, there was, uh, you know, I had a job offer at uh, St. Bernard's Catholic Elementary School to teach phys ed and, and remedial math and for $6,000. At the time, my dad was, uh, was, you know, going on his sixth or seventh surgery for throat cancer and, and my brothers and sisters were out of the house. So actually we're at home and, uh, you know, it was a great year for my dad and I to to be together and honestly to get to know each other better than we than we had before that so i was blessed to have that that six or eight months with him and then uh um just kind of go from there that was a, a magical time for lacrosse on long island uh, i remember watching you guys play i think it was 80 or 81 against limbrook in a playoff game uh i drove my bike to the game larry quinn was your goalie i remember he sat in the net with his with stick almost parallel to to the ground uh, I, I watched the whole game from behind the goal, and and you think that Tony Seaman was Limerick's coach, you were Levittown's coach, and you both took that big step. You both took that gamble that maybe college was 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 your future. Uh, what was from RIT to Hopkins? You go from a head coach, the Division Three Coach of the Year, to now a second assistant. Was that a lateral move that you felt you had to make? Was that a step up in your eyes? Uh, what what what? kind of triggered that move well you know as as you mentioned larry quinn was was my uh my goalie in high school he was at the time at at hopkins uh he um he was also an altar boy in my wedding we lived right around the corner from his family and so our parents were good friends and so uh larry and john d tomaso uh called me up one day and said hey uh zim's Zim just got the head job at, at Hopkins. Would you be interested in coming as the assistant? If you are, we'll, we'll push hard. And uh, at, at RIT, I was coaching two other Levittown Memorial guys, Tommy Sill and Ed, and Ed Purcell. So uh, it was an interesting time. I interviewed in March of that year of 1984 and then finished up the season at RIT and, and, and went there. But it was really due to Larry and then uh, – uh, the, that you mentioned the coach of the year thing in 83, I met Bob Scott at the Boomy Temple in Baltimore, which is where the, uh, the, uh, the uh, award ceremony was the all American dinner and all that met Bob, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, off the cuff and, and he called me and said, would you, you know, how much soccer and how much soccer, uh, you know, um, experience do you have? I said, well, I share the office here at RIT with the soccer coach. Will that do? He said, well, you better come down here and talk to us first. So uh, 
that was an interesting part of it, uh, the whole soccer thing. But, uh, you know, uh, on paper, as you, as you, you kind of alluded to, it was, uh, I was the, uh, in quotes, the first assistant coach at, at Hopkins, but there was no limits on coaching staffs then. So of the 10 coaches, I was the only one who didn't go to Hopkins. So it was, uh, I was, as you know, I was basically the ball boy with uh, Georgie Poehler and uh, uh, for a couple of years there until Freddie Smith got sick. And then in your freshman year, I took over the, uh, the, the defensive reins. Yeah, well, when we won the national championship in 87, uh, you were our DC, uh, Freddie, that was uh, Freddie's last game. He was there in person. Had you already interviewed for Princeton? Were you out the door yet, or or no. did that happen in June or July? No, and as you know, we won the championship at at Rutgers, and uh, and um, and so what I didn't, I had applied for it when it came up, but I hadn't heard from them or anything else. And turns out that Bob Meislick, who was the AD at Princeton at the time, came to the games at at uh, at Rutgers. And, and watched us, you know, defeat Maryland and then, um, and, and then win, the, win the championship over Cornell. And uh, I think it was interesting because when I interviewed at, at Princeton, they, they kept harping on this soccer thing that, you know, that uh, Hopkins had only had one winning year in 50 years of soccer. And those last two years, we, we went 14 and three. And that last year made the NCAA tournament. So, they kept harping on that. And it was funny during my interview, uh, Bob Meislick said to me, uh, Hey, I went to the championship game the other day. He goes, which coach were you? Because <laughs> you know, there were so, <laughs> so many of us on the sidelines. I said, well, I was, I was the guy, you know, getting yelled at for making the wrong substitutions in the box. You know? So, uh, but, but uh, you know, if you remember right, Freddie, Freddie Smith, after the Cornell, after the Maryland semifinal, he went home to back to Baltimore. He was really sick at the time. And uh, Coach Zimmerman and I called him on Sunday and begged him to come back for the, for the championship game on Monday. And he, he said, I, I, his quote was, I, I saw what I wanted to see us beating Maryland. Cause as you remember, we didn't, we lost to Maryland during the regular season there. And they were a great, great team. So, um, you know, by then I had really kind of taken over running the defense because Freddie and with Freddie's great support, obviously, because he was such an amazing guy. I still say to this day, he's the coach that I learned most lacrosse from in my life. You know, uh, you, th you think that was a, an amazing performance uh, from a coaching standpoint to, to beat Maryland that year, uh, to turn a, what, a four goal loss into a five or six goal win going forward, you, you take over at Princeton. We, we, we met in, in 88. Uh, I mean, quite honestly, Princeton was bad in, in, in 88 and, and, and quickly got better and then eventually got good in, in 1990 uh, and then got really good, obviously, in 91. Uh, that The playoff game was one of the epic playoff games uh, uh, ever and obviously won the title in 92. But uh, there's so much to be said for taking an organization from good to great. Uh, I mean, we could spend three hours talking about that process. When you got to Princeton, what, what, what were the biggest challenges you were facing? Well, I'm happy to answer that, but let me tell everybody a quick story about uh, that first game for Princeton Hopkins, where, where you were in the goal and, and shut us out. And then at the end of the game, I don't know if you remember, uh, they gave an MVP out to, to, 
you they gave you the award, but they awarded it to our goalie because he had like 35 saves. You, I, I, I had I had eight saves. There was a pipe shot. I remember that game because the weather was so horrendous. It was really muddy and cold. But my grandfather, uh, my grandfather McElroy was at that game. That's the only college game he was ever able to watch me play. And so it was a, a super special day for me and my, and my family. Uh, was, never uh, has like, a goalie shut out another team and not pin the MVP. <laughs> no, you know, I, I always said I would retire after I had a perfect game. And like <laughs> you look at that game and statistically it was perfect, but I was nowhere. I was off like four shots. I hit a pipe. I threw the ball away three times. It was it was uh, it was disguised as a shutout, but it was it was nowhere up to standard. Uh, but it'd be hard to believe two years later, you guys beat us in the playoffs uh, in overtime, re reversing. Uh, the turnaround was was pretty sudden. Uh, it was it was quick. Uh, so so I'm, I'm thinking you upgraded personnel, you installed your systems, you established uh, a sense of structure and discipline and expectations went through the roof. But, but where did the confidence come in? Where did the ability to believe come from? Well, if you if you go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, some of my first gigs in coaching, in fact, a lot of my things in coaching before that were having a blueprint for turning programs around, so to speak. Uh, go back to West Hempstead football, JV football, hadn't had ever had a winning season, and we turned that one around. And then, uh, you know, Levittown Memorial, my, the last year I was at um, 1979, when I was at Great Neck South, we scrimmaged my high school, Levittown Memorial, and 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 they and we beat them pretty good. Now that was our best Great Neck South team. We had some really good players, but um, and then the next year I was coaching Levittown Memorial, but I had Larry Quinn in the goal and all these other guys. So um, I had kind of built a reputation on turning, being a part of turning things around before the Princeton thing. So. Um, you know, Ray Rostan had done an amazing job at RIT and, and you know, uh, and he, but he left to go to Ithaca because he was a soccer lacrosse guy. He probably should have been at Hopkins that, that next three years later that more than I, but uh, um, just uh, always, always had this thing about uh, building confidence, uh, being, being overly acting overly confident, you know, the story goes my first year at, at Princeton, we, I told, well, it was my, actually my second year when Justin Tortolani and those guys came in, in their first meeting, because they were my first recruiting class, I told them we'd win a national championship. And you can just imagine the heads going down, we had just come off a two and 13 year and, uh, and the heads going down kind of the chuckles. So I said, well, you know, this is what we're going to do, besides get a great education here. And so building that blueprint was, to me, uh, came with the recruiting, um, what we set out that, that year. Um, you know, uh, my first year, Steve Mitchell came up with me from, from Hopkins and coached with me. And, uh, you know, I just said to Steve, we're only going to recruit guys from winning programs. We've, we've got to change the mindset here. And, and that's what we did. And we came up with a bunch of guys that were um, recruited, but but not really recruited, you know. And and we just kept saying to them, "Look, you're you're from a winning program. You're gonna start as a freshman. You're gonna build it. We're gonna build this program around you. And and this is what we've done in the past to do this. You're gonna you're gonna go to class. You're gonna do the right thing. We're you know 
we went overboard on the discipline and, and all that other stuff. And those guys just bought in and believed. And then two years later, when we brought in, um, when we brought in Batch and, and, and Kevin Lowe and Scott Reinhardt and that group, um, you know, by then we, we had the talent to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we've never talked about this in 1990 when Hopkins uh, parted ways with, with coach Zimmerman, uh, I'm sure your name came to the surface. I'm sure you talked to Bob Scott about it. You made a decision to stay at Princeton, uh, a decision that probably at the time was a difficult decision. Uh, can, take us take us through a little of, of that. And it, obviously it turned out for the best for, for you uh, and, and your belief and, and what you had been constructing there. But was it as simple as, as too many cooks in the kitchen at, at Hopkins or the, the, the weight of expectations? Uh, you know, that decision, what, what went through that? Yeah, not, not really. I mean, Bob was very gracious. He, he brought Helen and I down. We had, as you mentioned, it had only been three years prior to that, that we, that we were at Hopkins. So we knew the place very well and lots of friends. I trusted those coaches extremely well. And, uh, and um, we went down there and, and we interviewed and, and we, uh, you know, looked around even at houses and things like that. And um, you won't remember this, but but at the time we had a uh, blue 1977 Volkswagen Beetle. And when we took the original job at Hopkins in the, in the summer of 84, um, we had four children and we drove from Rochester to Hopkins. And when we got there, Helen handed Brian, my youngest, to Bob Scott, who was like six months at the time. And then she handed Courtney, the next one to Bob Scott. And then she handed Brendan the next one, to Bob Scott. And he looks in the car and he goes, you got any more in there? And he said, uh, we said, yeah, there's one more. We took Trevor out. He couldn't carry four of them. And so we, we had such love for Bob and, 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 and all that was, that was there. But it was the same car that I drove down to interview in, in, in 90. And, uh, and we had a great visit and everything. And it was always obviously my dream and uh um we were driving back up 95 and uh thank god for my wife helen but uh because she she raised those four rug rats and uh we're driving up 95 and i'll never forget it and you're very close to the person next to you in a, in a 77 volkswagen beetle and uh i turned and looked at her and it was a, a tear um I still get emotional about a tear kind of running down her the side of her face. And I said, uh, we're not going, are we? And she said, no. She said, uh, you made you made promises to the to those guys, to to Kevin and Scott and and Justin and and all those guys, and and you can't break your promise. And so um, thank God we made that decision. I mean, I think we would have done pretty well at Hopkins as as Tony Seaman did. And uh um, but it was just, you know, and then that was the first job I ever stayed at for more than three years when I stayed for 22. Yes. Yeah, so you, 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 well, we could talk about Mr. Scott for an entire edition. I tell you, you know, f for me to see him, uh, he was at every bus, every, every road trip, he was outside our bus to shake my hand as we got on. And then he was there when we got back, uh, you know, bus, tri bus trips from Virginia, North Carolina, where we'd be getting back to the athletic center at midnight, 1 a.m. And he'd be there. He'd be there to shake our hand coming off the bus as well. And, and uh, you know, that, that, is always, that has always stuck with me. Uh, we turn things forward to Princeton. You have success. 
and 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 you're winning championships 94 96 97 how now you as a turnaround artist how did you learn to deal with success with entitlement with uh expectations that that became the highest in the game yeah it was uh it was it was it would have been a challenge if i didn't have hubbard hess and massey um but uh you know we by then we kind of got on a roll princeton's a you know obviously a great school we got on a roll in in lacrosse at the time there had only been you know, I think four, maybe five teams who had won championships. Um, so it wasn't, uh, it, it was just something that if you could build it to a certain level, that's where some top players would want to go. We were, we were, we had a good pipeline to West Genesee and to Gilman and, and then all the, and some Long Island schools. And uh, um, it just started kind of the snowball. It really was uh, pretty amazing. I got to go back to 1990 when I hired David Metzbauer, you know, that was, that was the, the, the best move I ever made at Princeton. And we were lucky to make a lot of good, pretty good moves there. So, um, and Metsy just, uh, we, we, we mixed well, just like Matt Brown and I do here. And, uh, and he just took over that offense, you know, innovated it. And then with, uh, you know, Jesse, Chris, and John, it was, uh, and then some, some really, really good defensive guys, um, obviously great goalies and in, in batch and Patrick Kearns and, uh, and Corey Popham and then Trevor Tierney. And, uh, you know, we, we were, we were in pretty good shape. So, um, it really was, uh, something that kind of just rolled on its own. Kids believed in the system. Families believed in us. The school believed in us. And uh, we were graduating. We graduated 100% of our kids in 22 years at Princeton. So, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was pretty, pretty, you know, I use the word easy. It wasn't easy, but it was uh, as, as fluid and as uh, seamless as it could have been for those 10 years. I think about Ivy League sports and it, they seem to go in cycles. Uh, it, it comes in all sports uh, through through the eras. You think about there's a combination of a great coach, an admissions department and a financial aid department that are all on board. Is, is that is that necessary in the Ivy League to, to have those three? If it's not that holistic university wide approach, I'm not sure you're, 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 you're going to win big. Yeah, I think you know a couple of things come to mind when you, when you say that. Number one is is uh, is lacrosse, right? In in lacrosse, in some other sports, you know, like uh, like squash and some of those sports that are Ivy esque, you know, you can win national championships. Our sport has history and the ability for the Ivy League to to stay even with or attract the same kind of athletes. You're seeing it. I would love to see the Ivy League or would have loved to see the Ivy League in the last, you know, bunch of years uh, allow their football team to play in the in the championship series because you know, some of those teams are really good division one double A's teams. So, uh, you know, basketball, I went to Pete Carrill's memorial service this past fall and, you know, Pete was close. He, he you know, he was uh, beat UCLA. He was, uh, you know, a a foul and a, and a shot away from beating Georgetown and uh, in, in the, in the uh, March madness. So it's a, just a place or just a place that it had enough um, draw when it comes to 
the academic and athletic side for young, young people to say that they really competed at a high level. And then certainly the, the, uh, the academics and, and, uh, uh, and that kind of stuff, you know, really helps, you know, when, when we'll get to, we'll get to Denver, but I always kind of thought about, uh, you know, oh, scholarships would be great. Uh, now, now that I have scholarships, I, I liked it better back then when I didn't deal with any of that. I said, when a parent would call and say, we need more money, I'd say, good, call the financial aid office, you know, and I had nothing to do with that, except when my kids went there, you know, so, uh, um, it, it, it just, uh, things fell into place for the sport of lacrosse at the right time. And I guess we did a few right things. Before we turn the page to this Denver team, last thing I want to talk about is innovation. Uh, because you've had innovation at, at Princeton with the way you, you, way you structured your defense. And then you've had some innovation at Denver with the way you play offense. Uh, what's the importance of innovation? Is it for everybody? Do, do, is it something that you've always uh, look, looked for uh, when, when you're when you're you know building your program and and uh, you know talk to us about innovation? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think if you um, if you're stuck in the mud, you, you, you're not going to make it in any sport. Uh, coaching is coaching is a copycat occupation, and so people give me far far too much credit uh, for the in quotes Princeton defense. Uh, even though we put it in when I was there, um, you know, I go back to when I was at Levittown Memorial and then at RIT, we actually did the kind of the opposite things that we did in, in the Princeton defense. And I'll get to that in a second, but we would double te- force guys to the middle of the field, then turn them and double team them from their backside. And, and I just found that a lot of, a lot of high pressure on, on offensive players, um, made them make mistakes, but also took them out of their rhythm. And, and that was important. Fast forward to working with Freddie for three years and, and, you, and you know the seven defense, right? Drive yeah, guys yeah. down, drive guys down the side. Um, back then it was, don't really slide if you, if, if you don't have to. If the guy's going down the side, we got Larry Quinn, we got Quinn Kesnick. You know, they're going to make those saves. Yeah, if we and, have to slide, if we have to slide you, we'll find somebody who can cover the guy usually. Exactly. <laughs> You know, you got Dito and all those guys, they're, they're covering guys. And so, uh, um, and, and so, and then the, you know, the, the coma slide, right? That was something I learned from Freddie. So then when I got to Princeton, <clears throat> you know, and we got uh, shut out by you guys and, and, uh, and um, started playing some of those teams and going two and 13, trying to play the Hopkins defense, with non-Hopkins defenders, I said, I, I got to do something different here. We, we just can't do what Freddie did at Hopkins. And so kind of sat down one night or a couple of nights and said, how do I combine the sound theories that Freddie has along with the, the little bit more aggressiveness that I feel that we need uh, with, with guys that are, you know, new freshmen or not quite as talented and, and, uh, and so we, we got into the, the early slide, still drive them down the side, the early slide, you know, fast slides on comas, drive, don't let a guy beat your top side from behind, turn them, drive, you know, slide, coma slide, drive, come down the back, um, you know, just all that stuff that we did, uh, just, uh, it, it was a surprise, it was an innovation. And so a lot of people back then offensively were pretty simple offensively. 
as you remember. And, and so everybody was running the same stuff, deuces type offenses and one, three twos, you know, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, little bit of invert stuff, but um, uh, you know, you mentioned that beating Maryland in, in 1987, you know, Jerry Pfeiffer, who was our football coach, put a whole new defense in for that game. Yeah. And, yeah. Because they ran that kind of an the wing. Yeah, the exactly. How, exactly. How we, we switched on all the wings. Exactly. Chani, Chani would take the guy who would cut through and Mitchell would take the guy who was going to end up with the ball. And we, it kind of, kind of worked. So yes, I think innovation needs to be in our sport. I, uh, Metsy uh, in in uh, December or January December of eighty seven a uh, ninety seven or January of ninety eight I forget when we had our convention um, I was I I gate in quotes gave it away you know I yeah. told everybody what we were doing and Metsy kept telling me don't do this Mike Messier told me don't do this you know but I felt like I owed the game to tell people what we were doing by then there were. People were starting to figure out, you know, Coach Cottle, who's, you know, one of the greatest offensive minds ever in the game. His famous thing against our defense was cut the fill, pop the crease. You know, simple stuff, but stuff that was effective. And so you had you had a you had to kind of move on. And and then by after that, as as one of the quotes goes, when we had a bad year at Princeton in 2008, I believe it was. Somebody wrote, Tierney can't even coach his own defense anymore, you know, so, um, you know, it, it's, <clears throat> I think uh, I do a talk called square peg in a round hole, um, and meaning that coaches, if you, if you, if it's only your system, and you take new players in each year, which we do, um, and you try to implement only your system, and it's not, it's not geared toward the, the athletic ability, the, the mental ability, the IQ, all that stuff of your players, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail miserably. And so you see that over and over again with the copycat nature of our, of our profession, that um, you got to throw a little bit extra in there. And the ones that are successful are the ones that understand the game, use their talent to the best of their ability, and, and tweak it a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I would I would thoroughly agree with that. I see that in college football. I see that even on the wrestling mat with, with guys who develop a style, get really good at something that's a little unique or proprietary and, and how much pressure that puts on the opponent to prepare for that in four or five days when it's a little different uh, and, and you get good at something, something different, you know, do something a little different, but get great at it. <clears throat> and then the norm becomes, you know, you, you know, you over the years, you've given, you gave me one of my greatest compliments when, so a few years back when we were here at Denver, when you said they'll make halftime adjustments. And usually that halftime adjustment was going back to simple, you know, go zone, don't slide, uh, you know, the, the simple stuff because people prepared for you well for the intricate stuff. And there's only five days in a week. Yeah. Uh, Denver 2023. Coming off a nine and six year, your schedule is similar to to what it's been. Uh, it's a tough. You play. It's a really good schedule, Coach. Uh, considering that you play Duke and Carolina, Yale, Ohio State, and a good Towson team, plus the Big East. What what jumps at at you uh, this year in terms of your schedule? Anything? Well, just that uh, you know we're we're we only have five home games. You know, if we want to play the Dukes and Carolinas in the world, uh, um, you know, most of the times we got to go there. This will be our fourth time in a row at both places. And uh, so that's a challenge. You know, our, our big challenge is understanding how to handle travel and not 
get overworked about, oh my gosh, we didn't have a, we didn't have a Thursday practice or we didn't practice enough on Friday or, you know, we didn't, you know, we play the game at 11 a.m. at, at uh, Duke or Carolina and so that we can get a flight back here. That's 9 a.m., which means, you know, we wake up early. We've, we, we don't even talk about that stuff. Last year, we traveled 34,000 miles, and it is what it is. And when I took the job here, Peg Bradley Doppis, our, our AD at the time, she said to me, what do you need? I said, you need to support us. You need to be okay with us traveling all over the country because people are, aren't going to be real happy about coming out here if they don't have to. And, and credit to Nick Myers for always having a home and home game with us, you know, which is a great non-conference game and, and uh, some of the others. But, um, you know, it's just uh, the, 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 the things you need, the, probably the hardest things to overcome here uh, in our schedule is knowing you're going to be on the road a lot. So the guys get used to that and, um, and just making it matter of fact and then enjoying the home games when you have them. We've got great crowds here and we got great support here. And uh and and so, but you know, it goes and and now it goes without saying that you're talking about opening with Utah and Air Force, that these are no slouches anymore, you know. And so uh you don't there, there are none in, in in the game in the in the schedule. But the, the bottom line is you either have to beat one or two big boys or win your conference tournament. That that's and that sounds like an easy task. It's not especially in light of what Georgetown's turned into. But, uh, but since the day I came here, we've said, we said we'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime. And that's what we've done. And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to play uh, a slouch schedule. If you're going to be there at the end, you've, you've got to have some experience on the road and you've got to have experience playing against good teams. And we try to do both. It's interesting you mentioned that the lessons uh, of travel and the challenges of travel. That's a, a lesson that, you know, no one in lacrosse really has to learn. It's more of a, a lesson that I learned doing what I do now, uh, how you have to find a routine. But if you become a prisoner to that routine, you, you got no shot because more often than not, your, your, your schedule is impacted. And then, you know, finding a way to perform under, under less than uh, ideal conditions and, and making that the norm. Uh, whether it's a, a meal that was scheduled three hours late or a hotel or a bus that broke down or a long trip or a f sitting in an airport for three extra hours. Uh, th those are great lessons for your kids. I, I look at your team this year, coach. I see a, really uh, an experienced defense. I see JJ Silstrop on, on offense. And then I've got uh, a bunch of question marks in terms of, of who's going who's gonna to play midfield, who's going to score goals. Uh, what can you tell me about uh, the, the pioneers this year outside of, of Silstrop and maybe Richie Connell on offense? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great question. It's the, it's the question, you know, we're, we're, we're starting, we started our second week of practice yesterday and uh, it's the question we go, ask when we go out on that field. It's, it's really interesting. Um, we do have experienced defense. We've got a four year starting goalie. We've got another goalie or two. We're really pushing him. Got a great face-off guy in Alex Stathicus. We've got, Poles that are four years in, we, we got our best short step group ever, other than Danny Logan, and so we feel good at that end. But you can't play defense for forty-five of the sixty minutes; it, it, it just doesn't work like that. So um, you're right. You mentioned JJ; he's got the most experience. Richie has really Richie Connell has come into his own. 
And, uh, you know, we got a guy, if you watch our, our film from last year toward the end, and if you watch this fall, maybe our best player was Noah Manning, our best offensive player, Canadian kid who had to learn the ropes last year, um, you know, was sitting behind Alex Simmons. And so was in and out um, and, uh, and Noah's going to be really good. So, so that attack, we feel very, very confident in. And we got a couple other backups there. We have a couple of new guys on our team. We have a couple of Canadians, Ty Scott, big, tall, thin lefty. Uh, um, Cody Malowski, who's a freshman, very, very talented. Dad's the coach of, uh, you yeah, know, in, in, in the LLL. And, uh, Great player. Yeah, so, so we, we, got, we, we got that kind of stuff. The interesting stuff at the midfield, and, and you know one of them is uh, our best midi right now is Mick Kelly, who's a Calvin Hall kid, who's yeah. a rarity for us. We don't get, we don't get those high-end Baltimore guys because, uh, you know, it's either too far or, or, you know, as you said earlier, they have so many choices around them. Um, but, uh, but Mick and, and uh, we are so excited to have Mick and, and the trust that his family has given us is uh, by having Mick come here and, and he's, he's really good and, and he's only a sophomore, so he's going to be good. The interesting group of people is, are these four or five guys that when they came as freshmen, they were COVID kids, 24-7, mask on, single rooms, didn't even get to meet the seniors on that team, which was the big 67-man roster team where we had, you know, all our guys back, Ethan Walker, Danny Logan, plus, you know, plus, plus the three Yale kids, you know, um, uh, Jackson and Lucas and TD. And, and so these guys who were freshmen that year, just, you know, thankfully they got another year because they, 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 they just, uh, um, well, those guys didn't get another year. They, they got to play that year. But the, the, that junior group, um, Jack Tortolani, uh, Jack Tuttle, uh, Josh Carlson, Ty Hussey, those four or five guys, they are, they've been waiting their turn. And, and they're all big and they're all athletic and they're all, you know, they know their roles. And, and uh, so if we can, uh, you know, we got – our best, our best midi besides Mick during the fall was uh, Mikey Lampert. He's a junior. He's a five foot seven on if he's standing on, you know, on a box and he's quick as the day is long. He creates stuff for us. So with those guys, I'm very confident with the uh, with the abilities of those guys. How quickly can we can we make it gel? And, you know, I got the master here in the next office, uh, Matt Brown, who will who will figure a way. So we might look a little different, especially early. Hopefully our defense can keep us up and uh, we'll have the ball a lot with staff. And um, as the season rolls on, I think we'll get better and better. Last thing for me, coach, I, I saw this great video about the Navy SEALs uh, tryout process where, where they talked about the two components are performance and trust. And, and to me, it correlates exactly to this time of year for a lacrosse player. The guys who are going to earn playing time are the high performers who the coaches trust. If you have both of those, you're golden. If you're a high trust guy, but not that good, you still might get a chance to play. Uh, if you're a low trust guy, you're probably not going to play, even if you're a medium performer. Uh, when you value what you're looking at right now, performance and trust, what are some thoughts that come to your mind? 
Uh, it's, 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 an, it's a really great question. And we feel like for the first time, and, you know, we had, we had, you know, two, two great fifth year guys last year in, in, uh, in uh, Jack Hanna, right. And Teddy Sullivan, these guys were big time players and they, they let us, they were great captains. I feel, however, that for the first time since pre COVID, we have the Denver pioneer culture back. And I give our four captains and JJ uh, credit for that. You know, uh, Alex Stavkis, Jack D. Benedetto, um, uh, Adam Hangland and Jake Edinger. These guys have been four-year guys. And if you notice about them, they're all defensive guys. And so that's where they've been able to instill in our freshmen a trust in the guys who, who are going to play because we have some that are going to play, but more have brought back the culture and, and it's a 24 uh, seven we not me type thing. It's, you know, every cliche in the book about great leadership and great team building and culture, these guys emulate. And, and, and so I, I feel, uh, you know, um, that there have been times in the past couple of years that we've, uh, I, you know, may have gone soft on a couple of my basic tenants, which was, which is buy in or sit down. And, uh, and so um, I fearly feel like we're back. I feel like we, we have our culture back. I don't know if that means we're a national championship team, but I feel like our culture's back. And if your culture is back, anything can happen. Well, Coach, I'm excited to watch you guys. Uh, first of all, I think you're scrimmaging Hopkins on the 28th. Saturday, right. January 28th at noon. I, I think I can swing by for that. I know we're covering your game television-wise at Duke. I believe it's either Feb 17 or Feb 18. Uh, there's some confusion on that. So uh, looking forward to seeing you, uh, take you as you take your, your final lap ro- around the country. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny you say that. You know, we, uh, every day you go out there and you go, oh, yeah, this is my uh, – final first practice is my final first Monday of 20 Mondays. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, a, it, it's, a, it's a little absurd, but, uh, and the guys, the guys on the team, as I said, we've got some great seniors. They, they kind of chuckle about it, but um, it's, uh, it's listen, Quinn, my, my career guys going way back, way back to high school and all the way through to a great, you know, days at Hopkins with you guys and, and all those Princeton days and now the Denver days. I've been so blessed and I've been so lucky and thankful for my family to be supportive of this. And uh, I hope I can, can stay around long enough to, to give back to them a little bit, but the game's been great to me. I don't see me sitting around at home very much. I'm not good with TV or golf. And so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but really looking forward to this season and uh, hoping that uh, hoping that's a good one. Well, thank you, coach. Uh, uh, as always, appreciate your time and, and uh, the influence that you had on me is uh, goes without mention, you know, go, goes goes without saying how gigantic it was uh, in my path. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, good luck. And I look forward to seeing you on the on the 28th at that Hopkins scrimmage and then uh, calling that game against Coach Janowski in February. Uh, be, yeah, thanks. And thanks for you. You know, you uh, you helped me get that Princeton job. So, uh, uh, you know, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, coach. Be well.